Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I have my teacher, Maureen Gallagher, talk about the life-changing practice of inner relationship focusing. It's the way to relate to parts of yourself that you didn't know that you could even be with before. But through this process, we can go back to sensing these inner states as meaningful, as a part of us that's deserving of attention, interest, curiosity, compassion, develop relationships. And as a result of those relationships, actually feel like that's a part of me I want to know, that I benefit from knowing and to value our relationship with our bodies and with ourselves. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Welcome back, Maureen Gallagher. Thanks, Luis. It's great to be here with you. So we talked a little bit about this in our last episode about IRF, um, inner relationship focusing, which has been life-changing for me and so many of my colleagues and my clients and students. So I want to kind of just devote this episode to deep diving into IRF to teach the audience what that's about and how they can learn it eventually. So where do we begin? 
great. I love interrelationship focusing too. And as you know, I have learned and I teach a lot of different somatic practices, a lot of different psychological practices. And as a part of my becoming a somatic experiencing faculty member, I returned to focusing. I wanted to understand how Peter Levine developed his technique around somatic experiencing. And as part of that, I needed to understand focusing and the felt sense. So I went back and I certified as a focusing-oriented therapist and trainer in inner relationship focusing, and specifically inner relationship focusing, because I wanted to know more about how we um, relate our relationship to our the parts of us. You know, so many of us in our world now easily say things like, part of me, part of me feels this and part of me wants that. But that's kind of like as far as it goes, we just get that part of us wants something or other. With inner relationship focusing, we go further. We feel that part of us in our bodies and we start to develop a relationship with it. A relationship just like you might have with someone outside of you, except it's inside you. So that it's no longer like this mysterious being that does stuff that you have no control over. It's part of you that you can actually feel inside, like viscerally feel or emotionally feel or feel in your sensations. And then you can even go further and start to develop a relationship with that. What's so important to me about that is there's this these two ends of the spectrum. There's the mysterious being I have no control over. And then there's it's me. It's just all of me. It's my identity. And so I just wanted to throw that out because I find that this inner relationship focusing language removes the shame that comes that's overcoupled when there's identity with these states and removes the fear when it's a mysterious being. So I just wanted you to kind of go into that a bit. It's such a perfect, I love that you're reflecting that back. Because so many of us feel both of those. Like, I don't get myself. I don't understand myself. I'm a mystery. And I'm afraid. I feel out of control. I feel powerless. Because something in me is doing all these things that I, the one I identify with, doesn't want or doesn't feel in control of or wants something entirely different. And in inner relationship focusing, we say that that something in you actually makes sense, has an intention, also wants something that might be quite different than your sort of consciously identified with self wants. And we can have a relationship with that, that we have a body that can lead us along the way of getting to know that aspect of us. And that if we deepen into the felt sense of that, how you experience that inside, you're starting to form a relationship. Just like you might form a relationship with someone outside, they might initially feel mysterious or like, I have no idea what they're going to do or I can't predict that. When we relate to someone, something within us, it is a part of us. It is also us, but it feels kind of mysterious. And we start to relate to it like, huh, I want to get to know you. And I can actually feel you. I can sense your emotion. I can sense your point of view. And I have this reference point of something that's directly experienced inside 
this relationship becomes very powerful and very intimate. You intimately get to know yourself in this way. You're not just your thoughts. You're also your viscerally felt states. And those viscerally felt states actually make sense. They want things. They move toward things. They move away from things. They'll do things or not do things that you, the consciously identified with self, aren't in control of, but can have a relationship with. It's like, it's all uh, it's all me, but it's also me coming from different places, really conscious places. I want this or less conscious places. Yeah, I really want that. And we can get to know all of it. I, I love this so much. Um, so much I want to say. So it, really, it's the somatic experience of what we would call parts work, what we would call inner child work, what we would call shadow work, what we would call reparenting, like all those things about that unconscious. This is the somatic experience of those processes. That's right. And it's what I love also is that it starts with your body. It starts with your body and you can experience this inside. Whether you are a person that experiences uh, yourself emotionally, through sensation, through just basic, I like, I don't like. It's an experience of yourself that you may be out of touch with, maybe dramatically out of touch with as a result of socialization, the way we grow up, the way we're told, you know, you can eat now, you can't eat then, you can play now, you can't play then. We get socialized to when and how to be in touch with our insides, which is often never. But through this process, we can go back to sensing these inner states as meaningful, as a part of us that's deserving of attention, interest, curiosity, compassion, develop relationships. And as a result of those relationships, actually feel like that's a part of me I want to know, that I benefit from knowing and to value our relationship with our bodies and with ourselves. We get to become more fully ourselves as a result of this relationship rather than having this feeling, like you said, of shame. Why do I do this? I want to do something else. We're feeling powerless or out of control or frightened of our own body, mind, being. We get to have a very real way of developing a relationship with all of us, with parts of us that crave chocolate ice cream or don't want to go to work or want something entirely different than our conscious mind wants. Instead of it being like, I'm ashamed of myself, this makes no sense. It gets to be, I can sense this in me. I can sense the me that doesn't want to go to work or that wants chocolate ice cream. I can sense into that and begin to form a relationship with it. So what I love about this practice personally, just as a human using it, not even teaching it, but using it is, I mean, I don't teach it, but I, I teach the language of it, if you will, right? Um, when, I, when I've held space for myself, I, I think it was two years ago, I did this course with you. I think, I think that's when it was. Um, but since then, it's really taken me into what I said in our, our last episode around self-regulation, really being a co-regulation between conscious identity and these self-states or partial self-states, right? And so 
I find that to be profound over and over again, because I wrote down, you know, consciously identified self. I really like that because that's the one that we know. That's the one that says, well, I know I don't want to drink, but I keep drinking, right? And when we have the IRF, we have this way of, okay, I, the conscious I don't want to drink. What part of me does? And then that curiosity actually invites a relationship between conscious I and, oh, the pain in the stomach wants to drink. I I don't know if you want to, I'm going to say more about that in a bit, but I want to hear where you go with that piece. I also found it incredibly liberating. And I think you know that IRF has become my personal practice. It's the way that I get to know those things within me. And one of the things that I find so liberating about it is like that example, I don't want to drink the me I consciously identify with, but oh, there's something in me that does and I can get to know it. That is so freeing and liberating. I now have a path to better understanding myself and forming a better relationship with myself. And I don't need to be ashamed. I don't need to be a mystery. I don't need to be frightened. I have a path to getting to know the me that wants to drink or not work or whatever. There's a clear pathway and it's through and with my body. Something I have direct experience of, access to all the time. And so I think it's incredibly freeing, liberating also. So many of us fall out of positive relationship with ourselves as a result of the things we do. I can't trust myself. I don't want to drink and I drink. And then we lose trust. We lose secure a secure bond with ourselves. This practice helps you repair that. I do make sense. The something in me that wants to, for example, drink is not trying to sabotage me or defeat me or hurt me. It has its own reasons and I can get to know those. Like let's say that you get to know, oh, inside I have all this emotional pain or physical pain and something in me says, oh, drinking, that takes care of that pain. It's actually trying to resolve that problem. Maybe not in a way that I... um, approve of or hope for. But if I can understand, oh, that's what you're wanting is to not feel so much emotional pain. One, I have more empathy, understanding, um, compassion, and I might be able to help out. I might be able to provide some alternative solution of like, you know what? The problem is emotional pain, not drinking. And that I might be able to address emotional pain in some other way. And so it kind of builds trust within the self, the possibility of a more, almost like a secure bond with yourself. I trust myself. I can, I relate to myself. I have more interest and curiosity and compassion. Instead of yelling at myself all the time, it becomes, actually, I'm curious about what's going on in there that makes, that leads to me wanting to do this thing that I don't approve of or don't, my conscious self doesn't feel good about. It gives me this whole avenue to get to know the me that does want to do that and why, what's happening for that, and even how to address some of its concerns or pains. I mean, what's profound for me with all that as as someone, again, who practices it 
all the time. It has definitely become my self-practice as well. Like I live and breathe it now because it's so it's so visceral. I, I can't not feel it anymore. Um, two things emerged for me more and more and more from it. The first is any any fear that comes from the mystery of these states and being alone with them, like I don't know how to be with myself, greatly dissolves because this is the way to be with self. And it's not a way through a manual like a lot of um, a lot of forms of self-help, even SE to a certain extent, it can feel like a manual. Like, okay, this step, this step, this, and it gets like logical, yeah. but this is so relational. I mean, it's in the title, so I don't need to know therapy to do this. I, right. I just I just need to know how to feel the state, and when I can feel the state in my stomach, the I has a place to relate to. It That's becomes right. almost intuitive. And then from that, I notice all my relationships become more yes. compassionate. Like I'm such a better father from doing this because I do with her what I'm doing with myself all day. And it just becomes how I connect. Is that your experience as well? Absolutely. I think it's one of the things that is incredibly powerful about interrelation focusing is once you realize that you have parts of you and you can develop relationship with them and that can be healing and you can develop compassion and empathy. Like you said, you naturally start to attend to yourself in that way. Oh, I have a pain, physical or emotional. Let me sense into that. Now, pretty soon you start seeing people outside of you, loved ones, friends, people in your life. They're acting from parts too. That's not all of them that just got mad at you and insulted you or had a tantrum or that's part of them. And when we recognize that's that's a part of them, we can soften. We can have more compassion and recognize, I know what that's like for me. And I know that that part of me needs Compassion, interest, curiosity. Also, that movement from that's all of you that just insulted me and I have to fight that. We let go of that. We're like, oh, my daughter is in a part. My partner is in a part. My boss is in a part. And I can be with that. I have space for that. Our relationships start to change. It becomes an enormous cycle of more compassion for self more interest, more relationship, makes me more available to see you in your fullness, not just your parts. And my relationship to you softens. And pretty soon it ripples out to our whole world, start to soften and be more kind, be more compassionate because we're not as threatened when other people are in their partial self-states. We don't feel as much like it's a mystery it's dominating us. We are out of control because that part is controlling us. We don't feel that way anymore. We feel like they're in a part. It'll pass. But I also have some things I can do in my relationship to someone who's in a part. And it's, it's so powerful how much this practice changes our relationship to self, then changes our relationship to others. Yeah, I, there's two places that it really rocks me as a teacher and someone to hold space. Um, the first one, when I'm teaching my course and I'm saying to people, you know, we're going to play with like something inside of us instead of us. So instead of I have anxiety or I'm anxious, it's like a part of me is anxious. 
And there's this immediate, again, invitation without me even saying it to orient to, oh, what part? There's a curiosity instead of like sitting in the identity of I'm anxiety. And the second place is with addiction. Uh, It's incredible to watch people who suffer from addiction be able to say, go from I'm an alcoholic, what's wrong with me, to there's a part of me that depends on alcohol to feel safe or to numb pain. And it gives them the space to tend to that part instead of, again, identify with with the alcoholism. I was wondering if you could speak a bit to kind of the somatic experience of identifying with this. Like what happens that overwhelms the system so much when we identify with the state instead of identifying as something in us? Yeah, I think it's exactly right. When things happen in our lives, either from outside or inside, that are kind of too much, too fast, too soon, we can't really metabolize everything that's coming at us. We don't have a conscious awareness of that a lot of times. It just feels like a tidal wave or we feel triggered or we suddenly feel confused or out of control. And we don't go, we don't naturally say, oh, I just went to a part of me. You know, that doesn't happen. We go into some level of threat response. And for lots of us, we have a characteristic response to that threat. Like maybe we become anxious and panicky, or maybe we start to shut down or dissociate. We don't realize that we're overwhelmed. When we are overwhelmed, we start to, like you said, identify with that state. I am overwhelmed. I'm scared. I'm confused. And we we go to this place where that part of us just feels like we are only one thing. I am overwhelmed. Not, as you said, and it's really helpful, something in me is feeling really overwhelmed right now. And I can be with that. When we get to the something in me is so overwhelmed, it has that suggestion. We naturally go to the, oh, I can, I can be with that. I can notice the, the me that's overwhelmed because there's something, there's me, there's a me that isn't. It's sort of that suggestion that we're more than one thing, which in fact, we, if not always, we usually are more than one thing. We have this tendency to kind of simplify. I am. I am angry. I am sad. But when we can recognize that it's actually part of us, something in me is sad. Something in me is angry. Something in me is overwhelmed. It's also a recognition that we're much more complex than that. That there's also a me that can be with those states. And that when I can slow down and do that, it's actually an enormous support to be with that too much, too fast, too soon, the what was too much. Now I can slow down and actually be with, work through, metabolize what was too much, too fast, too soon. And that supports me to bit by bit become, move back into that more regulated place that's able to be with all my different states with interest and curiosity. When I'm able to do that, I'm also more available for others. It's a like almost like by just doing it, it's a regulatory strategy. It supports us to move 
out of dysregulation and towards bit by bit towards regulation, towards self-regulation. It's a support for our being. I I really love that, especially that piece around um, when I say something in me is anxious, I'm also saying something in me isn't, uh, or part of me isn't, or there's a me that isn't. And I was getting this beautiful visual of a body. And let's say I have anxiety in my stomach, and it's like red. When I say I'm anxious, it's like this brush stroke just paints that red everywhere. Mm-hmm. When I say something in me is anxious, then I might notice, oh, my shoulders are purple, right? Yeah. And so I I naturally find my inner resources, the parts of me that aren't activated, the parts that have capacity for big charge. And, and I speak even from those parts to the part that has the charge, right? That's right. You, you move out of that, well, first, the all of me is anxious to actually, it's something in me, it's in my stomach. And then in the noticing that, you notice some oh, other parts of me are feeling differently than that. And those parts actually become helpful to the stomach. Like you're out of that, you move out of that narrowing into, oh, I have more of me. And those places within me that are relaxed and ease, flowing, alive, huh, they can actually be helpful to the anxious part of me. The anxious part of me is sort of soothed and helped by those legs that are feeling sturdy and fine. And things start to be like, oh, it's not all bad. You know, things are things are looking up. And that the it's really is that there's support even within yourself for challenging difficult states. Wow. Hope everyone hearing can just pause and feel into all this for a moment because it's so, it's really profound. It's yeah. it's like such a simple practice, but it's so profound, like how it can change everything. Absolutely. I'm so grateful. I mean, this lineage that I just want to name so that we make sure that we really honor that. You know, that Jenlin, Eugene Jenlin developed focusing, um, which was a great gift in the 60s and 70s. And then Ann Weiser Cornell took that and said, you know what? Let's refine it. We need relationship here. We need relationship among these states um, that that will help in our relationship to self. And then Peter Levine added the piece around, let's relate to our nervous systems. Our nervous systems are actually what's contributing to these experiences of threat, anxiety, depression, shutdown, dissociation. And when you take them all together, as I do, as you do, now we have this somatically based way to form relationship to self and parts. And it's incredibly powerful, an incredibly powerful practice for your life, for your relationship to yourself. Um, that's for everyone. For those people who are professionals in the healing professions, it's also a technique and practice to bring into your work. And so I know, I know you know this, I know this of like, we want and need to develop practices that support all people to know themselves better, feel more comfortable in their own body, mind, being have a way to relate to challenging states like anxiety, depression, fear. Um, And we also need tools for professionals who are doing work with um, clients who are having more severe symptoms. 
And so I think that interrelationship focusing helps this entire spectrum, a practice that helps people live their lives better, um, feel more comfortable in their own body, mind, being, improve their relationships with others, and also um, supports professionals to have a practice they can bring in to working with their clients. Even that last part, I just want to highlight when you're doing IRF with yourself as a therapist or practitioner, you're even prevent, for me at least, preventing burnout, you know, yes. because it's it becomes a way to maintain my body from session and person to person even that what's happening in my belly as I heard this person's traumatic story. It, it centers me in what I'm holding and what's alive in me from them. And it's, it just deepens the practice for me and, and makes me a better practitioner because then I'm not going through the day building up these partial states and not feeling them, you know, dissociating essentially. Absolutely. I think that as healthcare professionals, as healing professionals, we, we do have a lot of stress from our work with our clients. And with a practice like inner relationship focusing, we have this way to like, in those 10 or 15 minutes between sessions, at some point in our day, we get to feel directly into our body with this always available information of what's happening for me right now. I'm not feeling quite myself or I'm a little unsettled. I now have a way to be with that that is immediate. I can spend five minutes with that and feel that something very meaningful happened, that I was able to be of support to my own body, to the state of my own being in five minutes in a way that was like, huh, that was so helpful. And like you said, I think it really, it supports us, that prevents burnout. It also gives us really important ongoing information about our needs of like, you know what? I can't see more than three clients in the morning. That's it. And then I need a couple hours off to do something entirely different. And then I can come back and do another couple, working with another couple of clients. And that we have such important information about how to live our lives that we lost. Like perhaps the minute we went to school, we lost. And that helps us get back in touch with this is what I need to live my life in a way that helps me feel most me, most supported, so that I'm not consistently ignoring my needs and then expecting that I'm going to be okay. I have a way of really getting to know those needs that isn't like, what a pain in the butt that I have those needs. How inconvenient. It's like, no, let me listen to this and get to know it and respond to the needs. It doesn't mean I gratify every need I have. It's I get to know why, like, like the earlier example of alcohol. Why am I craving alcohol? Oh, this emotional pain or this physical pain is what's driving that. And getting to know that, let me feel into that pain. I can get to know that. I can sense it. I can get to know what it's afraid of. I can respond to that pain differently. And so it's an incredible practice for anybody, for professionals, for yeah. living your life. And, and as you're saying that, it's so important to me because I think intellectually, a lot of people will think 
the the statement or the thought of the awareness i drink because i'm in pain there's a, such a difference of like knowing it in your mind and experiencing in your body and what i learned the most from your class with in irf was there was this one statement you would say throughout and it was um re- the relationship you have to this part is what transforms this part and that's really important because again i can know i'm in pain and i drink a lot of people know that but to actually feel the place inside of you to get that intimate and and exact of oh this is the place from the middle of my chest that the urge to drink unfurls from that is so powerful and then i relate to that and then within minutes sometimes you'll feel something happens whether it's unpleasant or pleasant there's some shift that occurs just by being with it it's just yeah. wanting your attention, essentially. That's right. And it is, I, I love that you're highlighting that because the relationship is not like, um, it, it's real. It's a, it's a directly felt, immediate relationship. Oh, there's something in me that wants to drink. It's here in my chest. It's right there. I can feel it. When I'm wanting to know what it feels, I feel here. I'm sensing this place in my chest. It feels pained. It feels tight. It feels sad. Now I'm getting more and more information as I spend time with it. Just like if it was a person outside of me, I wouldn't expect that it immediately showed me everything about itself, everything it thought or felt or knew. I would have to get to know it. But there would be a real being outside of me that I could get to know. Here we're saying there's some real you inside you that you can get to know. You can get to know it over time. You can listen. It's going to know when you're not listening. It's going to know when you're feeling rejecting because it's you too. But it's also going to get when you're interested, curious, and compassionate and relating directly to it of like, I'm here and I want to listen. I want to know. Mm -hmm. And it responds to that. It does. Yeah. And even that place of when you were saying that, I was thinking when someone might say, like, we have a lot of archetypes when we're doing parts work. So someone wants to say, my six-year-old, you know, like my my six-year-old self is just so angry at this person. It's like, okay, great start. Where is the six-year-old self in your body? That That's where the relationship. So I'm not just speaking about the six-year-old in me. I'm feeling where she lives. And then I'm relating to her. And I'm like, oh, someone didn't meet your needs, but I can. Like, show me what you need. And this this self-resolve, self-parenting starts to occur, which is highly effective for people that have relational ruptures developmentally with their parents who didn't have that space held for them. They hold that for themselves now. Yes. And just as you said, like when someone says, oh, it feels like a six-year-old, there's a choice here because a lot of people go from it feels like a six-year-old to I'm rejecting that. I'm not a six-year-old. That's a baby part of me. That's a young part of me. Here we're saying, okay, it feels like a six-year-old. How does that feel? What what does six feel like inside? You know, if you put aside that, of like, that's great information. It feels six-year-old. But tell me about that experience in your body. What does it feel like? Where do you feel it? If you sense into it, can you sense it's emotions can you be with that so just as a real six-year-old you wouldn't say oh you're six it would be like 
let me be with this six-year-old. Yeah, exactly. We want a relationship that's meaningful, deepening, increasingly intimate, knowing of that part of us felt where we are available and not there just to be dismissive, but to really get to know that part of us. And all of us responds to that. We're deepening our knowing of ourselves and that deepens our trust in ourselves. We know, we come to know that we will attend to our states rather than find more and more ways to ignore, override, reject, dismiss all the things that many of us learned to do as we grew up of how to relate to your body, mind, being. This is a new way to relate to what you find inside. It's a way that says, I'm actually interested. I'm curious. I'm going to, I want to spend time with you, get to know you and respond to you. So a desire is coming up in me. Would you lead us in a short couple minute exercise so people listening can get a felt sense of what we're talking about? Sure, I'd be happy to. So I'll I'll say a couple things first and then I'll do it. One of the things we often do in inner relationship focusing is we do something called the lead in. And so we're just inviting you to come into your body and to notice what wants or needs your attention. And so I'm going to lead us in a very short practice just to do that. Um, And just allow yourself to sort of be gentle. If something's uncomfortable, just let yourself know. You don't need to do or follow anything that I say. You get to ignore it if it's not comfortable for you. But you might find a comfortable place to sit for a moment or two. And if you like to close your eyes as you connect inside, feel free to do that. Or you can just look down or anything that helps you connect inside. And you might notice your breath. You don't need to change a thing. Just notice. Perhaps feeling the chair at your back, feeling the support it offers you at your back, beneath your legs. The feel of the ground beneath your feet. Notice what already feels at ease, relaxed, alive, even just okay inside. Notice your arms, your legs, your hands, allowing any movements that want to happen in your body, feeling your head, your neck, your shoulders, noticing your spine, perhaps tracing the path of your spine from your tailbone, little by little, up to the back of your neck, noticing what happens in your body as you do so. And coming to the front of your body, noticing your throat, your heart, your chest. your belly, your hips and pelvis. Dropping in the question, what needs my awareness inside now? Giving that a moment. 
as you notice something inside, could be a feeling, a sensation, just let it know. I feel you. I'm aware of you. You might take a moment to notice whether that feeling, sensation, or experience responds to your noticing it. Maybe letting it know, I'm here with you. If it feels right, you might let it know, I'm interested. I want to get to know you. Take a moment to see if you can describe this place that you have found. Where is it in your body? Are there sensations or emotions that it has? If you're finding sensations or emotions, you might say something like something in me. Or I'm sensing something in me is feeling or is experiencing. And I can be with this. You might let this place know you're willing to spend more time with it later or over time that you're interested in getting to know it. And for now, just feeling the whole of your body, perhaps noticing other areas in your body, your legs, your calves, your feet, your seat, Noticing that this place within you is part of the wholeness of your body. And noticing your breath, the feel of the chair at your back, beneath your legs, the ground beneath your feet. If your eyes are closed, you can gently start to bring them open to look around the room you're sitting in. You might take a moment to thank everything that's come and to let it know that you're willing to come back and spend more time with it later. Mm, so beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the very beginning of noticing. And I want to say that, you know, sometimes when we first start to relate to our bodies, we feel like nothing comes. And Anne Weiser Cornell, who developed um, inner relationship focusing, used to say, or probably still says, it's like if you had um, an appointment, um, a meeting with a friend at a coffee shop and you arrived, your friend wasn't there. You wouldn't just leave. You would say, oh, my friend will be here in a minute. 
And so sometimes we need to hang out. I do too. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Right? I'm like, doesn't mean that your friend's not coming. Just because they're not there yet. So I, I just want to say, for me, I was doing the practice as you were leading. And it was the moment the question comes in, what must, what wants my attention? It's it's so profound that, whoop, you know, it's just something comes for it. And like my left abdomen, just something came up and it was dense and it was tight. And and just seeing it and saying, I see you, I'm with you. It just, the softening, it's just, it's like an Alka-Seltzer. That's how I always vision that, just effervescence. Absolutely. And, it's not always the case with everyone or with me even, but that was so nice. Yes. I love that too. And those of us that do this regularly, our bodies are are so happy to know that we have this way of relating to ourselves that they often reward that with immediately showing up like to the coffee appointment. Yeah. And when it's new, that doesn't always happen. Um, And it is sort of a practice of getting to know yourself because like when we first get started, our bodies are so used to being ignored that it might be like, oh yeah, you're here, but you're not really interested. I don't really believe that you're here to pay attention to me. And like kind of to your point, like all of us, especially when we're in pain or most of us really need someone to see our pain. And to be able to say, oh, are you okay? You look like you're in pain. Now, we would do that for a friend or a loved one. We would notice and recognize when they were letting us know through their body posture or their expression that they were in pain. And that elicits in us care and um, attention. But we don't always have that relationship to our own bodies where pain, either physical or emotional, elicits care and attention. This practice helps us to really get that our bodies respond like hungry sponges to that attention as well. They're so used to our ignoring it or trying to get rid of uh, emotional and physical pain that the idea that we would respond with interest, attention, and compassion is like um, a bomb in a desert. Like you're mm-hmm. here and you're paying attention to me and something in us just uh, just melts. And it's in- incredibly moving and beautiful to get, um, you know, that Mary Oliver poem of, of like the soft animal of our body just responds to this with such a deep need of you're here. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for your attention. Wow. I mean... So, so one of the best parts for those of you listening is Maureen teaches this. And I learned this through you. Those of you who have learned from me or love the way I speak, we can thank Maureen because you know, you've you've passed this language to my body through yours. And so those of you listening, I want to I want to go into a little bit about your course so we can understand how it works. But uh, she offers this, I don't know how often I'll let you go into the details. But what's really important for everyone to hear is it's not just for practitioners. It's for everyone, which is the best thing about this practice. And what I love about it, and what I love about how you're teaching it, you're part of this kind of, um, I don't know what I want to even call it, this avant-garde, you know, movement of mental health and healing, of teaching the individual how to do it themselves. 
so we can remove the bureaucracy and the hierarchy and even the the blocks that might be financial, you know, or accessibility, all these things that get in our way. We're teaching people that actually your body knows this. I'm going to give you the language, then then you're good. And if you're not, you have more knowledge to now go to a therapist with. So That's tell right. us a little bit about all that and how the course works and where we can find it and such. Yes, that um, as you said, I think it's so important that all of us have real ways to attend to our own well-being, physical, emotional, and that we have direct access to that. I offer classes in six-week blocks, um, usually to learn a practice like inner relationship focusing. I recommend that you take at least two, and if you can, all three blocks. That's 18 classes. The more of the blocks you take, the deeper your the support for your practice. Um, I know I've said to Luis, I feel like we're in the midst of a mental health crisis. So many people having so many symptoms of anxiety, depression, fear. And with I mean, there's not enough therapists in the world to attend to all of the difficulties that we as a people, as a culture, as a world are experiencing. Practices like inner relationship focusing give you a way give you a personal practice to attend to your own well-being that is always available to you. I want that for everybody. I feel like our world needs it. We can no longer rely on um, specialized care to attend to all of our emotional needs. When we have personal practices, it protects us from our um, difficult emotional states from becoming anxiety disorders, depressive disorders. And for those times when you do need a professional, go. You need a professional. But a personal practice might be something that supports you a lot of the time. I would want that for everybody. I offer the classes usually in the spring and in the fall. So one set of classes, like a new cohort, the next cohort actually starts in March. And then the cohort after that will start in September. So twice a year, I offer this series of classes. And, you know, of course, I'm saying if you can, you take part one, part two, part three. But sometimes people will take part one and two, and then the following fall, they'll take part three, or at some point, they'll add another piece. For professionals, I add further classes. I add consultation in inner relationship focusing to bring inner relationship focusing into your work with your clients. And I'm also um, in the final stages of a development of a certification course in becoming a focusing-oriented therapist. And that's for people who have one-on-one -on -one practices, coaches, psychotherapists, um, some forms of body work that include talking, um, that certification course will be for healing and helping professionals. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. Love it. I mean, when I did this, I did all three modules back to back, which was awesome per exactly what I needed. Um, I think I did it right. Yeah, I did it right as I completed my SCP. I had like that one waiting because of the pandemic. But um, I was through the SCP program. I had been entrenched in it in private practice. And then I thought I need this and for me, it was an animistic piece, like seeing these parts as other living forms coming through me to listen to and to be with. And it just, 
it rocked my world. And then I did uh, almost a year's worth of consultations with you around the IRF. Mm -hmm. So uh, just saying that aloud so people listening can think, okay, well, what, what, how should I do it? There's no wrong way, you know, your capacity will tell you. But for me, that really gave me what I needed. And it it's stuck. And it's like, it's just my nature now. It's so cool. I don't think about it. Yeah, I love that. And I, I think that for many of us, that's a similar path that I, my initial path of like, you know, you take part one, two, and three, and you really deepen into your own personal practice. And that personal practice strengthens. And then if you're a professional going on to consultation and you're so supportive of like, this is how I'm going to bring this into my work. And before you know it, it's kind of like a part of the way you breathe. You know, you just are in your own life and in your own world in this way, because you have this powerful practice, why you naturally start to use it more and more. And so I love that it's available to us as people, as professionals, as professionals, you can refer your clients, then they know in a relationship focusing deeply and you, it's, it eases the way of using it professionally. It's a, it's a tool. It's a tool and technique that helps us be increasingly comfortable and to feel more and more ourselves over time. It's an incredibly related and beautiful practice. Well, I'm excited for more people to learn it. I, I have this like little fantasy that one day SEI will make it <laughs> part of their, you know, course territory. Cause it's like, I just don't know how they can be separate after I do them both now. I'm like, how can these be separate? They're incredible. Yeah. Thanks for saying that. I feel the same. Like the, these two practices, somatic experiencing, which I teach and inner relationship focusing, which I also teach. I feel like they are so complementary. And they offer what the other one doesn't have. So for somatic experiencing, um, it's a deep addition of a relational way of being, which when we are traumatized, one of the things that's missing is relationship, the relationships that help us to heal from challenging events we live through. And inner relationship focusing is all about bringing the relationship to that. and. Um, IRF is less focused on the nervous system. Now, I bring more focus just because I teach both models, but I hope that at some point SEI at least offers it as a post, post SEP course of, for people to learn in a relationship focusing to four SEPs. I think it would be. Absolutely. I'm just going to add to our little cauldron of visions if they add nutrition someday, because there's so much, yeah. right? Yes. Oh my God. These are the, the trifecta for me of, you know, trauma-informed nutrition with biology, uh, SE and IRF. It's like, wow, it's just the best. Right. The nutrition being brings more awareness of how to care for your body and that it is a part of the trifecta of, you know, if you're attending to your emotional well-being and you're taking care of your nervous system, but you're not attending to your nutrition, there's a missing piece there. And Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So we are <laughs> off and I, we're on the same page. <laughs> okay, SEI, I hope you're listening. Um, okay, thank you so much, so much for being here and being my teacher and being a teacher to so many of us. I really, really appreciate your time. It's my pleasure. My pleasure to spend time with you, Louise, and with your listeners. So that's the end of today's episode. 
notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions, that's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it, be with it, and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give into mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.